May I invite you to uh, grab a Bible and <clears throat> open it to um, Hebrews chapter 3. And we'll uh, begin or resume our study of the book of Hebrews. We're just racing right through the book. We're all the way to chapter 3 and just started. So you follow as I read the first 11 verses of um, Hebrews 3. And uh, they read like this. <clears throat> Therefore, holy brothers... You who share in a heavenly calling, consider Jesus, the apostle and high priest of our confession, who was faithful to him who appointed him, just as Moses also was faithful in all God's house. For Jesus has been counted worthy of more glory than Moses, as much more glory as the builder of a house has more honor than the house itself. For every house is built by someone, but... The builder of all things is God. Now Moses was faithful in all God's house as a servant to testify to the things that were to be spoken later. But Christ is faithful over God's house as a son. And we are his house. If indeed we hold fast our confidence and our boasting and our hope. Therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion on the day of testing in the wilderness, where your fathers put me to the test and saw my works for 40 years. Therefore, I was provoked with that generation and said, they always go astray in their heart. They have not known my ways. As I swore my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God, this word, this endures forever. Um, Guys, before we dive into the the deep end of the pool uh, of this text, that is the main thrust of the text, there there are a couple of things in this this text that I I wanted you to see. They're They're not the main considerations of the text, but there are things that that I thought were profitable and and I wanted to show you before we jumped into the deep end, Um, and hopefully you'll find them profitable as well. Um, There there are two things, and they really both come from um, the first half of verse 7. If you'll just take a look at that real quick, uh, you notice it says, therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, and then what you get after that is a reference or a citation from Psalm 95. Now, wait a minute. I I thought David wrote Psalm 95. Well, he did. Um, He wrote it as moved by and controlled by and and, uh, aided by and inspired by the Holy Spirit. Now, uh, to take that one step further, notice in chapter 2, verse 3, second half of that verse, it was declared at first by the Lord. That is, Jesus made some declarations. And then if you look at uh, chapter 1, verse 1, it says, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. Now, here's my point. Do you know what this is, this book? It's a collection of sayings by the Trinity. On one occasion, you find the Holy Spirit said. On another occasion, you find Jesus said. On another occasion, you find God said. That's what this book is. 
It's a collection of sayings. Oh yes, um, he used men to pen it, P-E-N. But ultimately what you have here is a collection of the sayings that are made by the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. The, the Trinity speaks in this book, and he uses men to pin what he wants to say. That's the, that's the first observation. The other thing I want you to notice there, therefore, as the Holy Spirit says. Do you see that? It doesn't say, as the Holy Spirit said. It says, as the Holy Spirit says. You see, what is said keeps on being said. What the Holy Spirit said then, when David wrote it in Psalm 95, he's still saying now. It's not what the Holy Spirit said, it's what the Holy Spirit says. <clears throat> because you see, this book is, is living. And, and it's another um, indication that the Holy Spirit is deity. That is, he's God because he has an attribute that he speaks. He's not a force or some kind of electrical charge. He, he's a person who speaks. He, uh, he was at work at the old, in the Old Testament. And he authored the Old Testament just like he did, just like he authored the New Testament. Um, as the Holy Spirit says, <laughs> he keeps on saying it. Now, the other thing that I would just point out, you'll notice that verse 7 begins with the word therefore. Um, because what you have in verses 7 through 11 is the author's application of verses 1 through 6. The main thrust of the text is in verses 1 through 6. And after he has made his point in verses 1 through 6, his application <clears throat> is something that he draws from the Old Testament, which his audience, Hebrews or Jews, would have recognized immediately. Verses 7 through 11 are just an application of verses 1 through 6, because the, the deep part of the text is in verses 1 through 6. And I would suggest to you that the primary focus of this text, verses 1 through 6, is in verse 1. It's in two words. The primary aim of this little section of Scripture is for the author to say this. Consider Jesus. I'll tell you more about that in a minute, but just... The word that's translated consider is a Greek word, katanoeo. It's a word that means to think through. Think through what? Jesus. Not, not, not consider this or consider what. It is consider him. And thus, ladies and gentlemen, with those two words, you and I are brought into the heart of the matter of this text. His exhortation, this pastoral exhortation to his audience to consider Jesus. Now, consider him why? What, 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 is, what is behind this exhortation to consider Jesus? Guys, the author believes that his readers 
who he calls, do you, you notice in verse one, he calls them holy brothers. He considers them, they're, they're Jews living in Rome, but he considers them to be converted Jews. And his audience is about ready to throw in the towel. Quit. Um, give up. Go back to Judaism. Go back to Moses. And so seeing that that's what's <clears throat> being um, considered by his audience, he, looks to, uh, he, he, he writes them as one concerned about their spiritual well-being. And he says, before you do that, I want you to consider Jesus. And then he goes on in verses um, 2, 3, 4, and 5, and 6 to give them several things, several specific things that they need to think about. Before you, um, you, you make this trek back into Judaism, here's, here's a few things that you need to think about. Um, now notice, uh, in verse 1, consider Jesus... Oh, by the way, he's the apostle and high priest of our confession. Notice, guys, it says the apostle and high priest. Those two things are not the same thing. Um, An apostle um, is one who speaks for God to men. A high priest is one who represents men before God. And you'll notice that he says that he did both of those things faithfully. Now, don't miss this either. Jesus is occupying two offices. He's, off, he's, um, he's occupying the office of a prophet and a priest. And that's something that, that Moses never did. You're going to go back to um, Judaism? Well, before you do that, you need to consider him. And, and there's something that you need to consider. That is that he is, he occupies a couple offices that Moses didn't ever do that. And, and, and speaking of Moses, you'll notice that the text goes on to point out, ladies and gentlemen, that Jesus far exceeds the very best of the best that Judaism has to offer. Um, of all the Old Testament players, there was, there was none. None of those players were greater than Moses. Um, Moses was the, was the lawgiver. He was the, uh, the author of the Torah. And, and we Gentiles ha- find it difficult to understand the esteem that Judaism had for Moses and continues to have to this day. But let me give you a taste. These are the last three verses of the book of Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy 34, verse 10. Listen to this. And there was not arisen a prophet since in Israel like Moses, whom the Lord knew face to face. None like him for all the signs and the wonders that the Lord sent him to do in the land of Egypt to Pharaoh and to all his servants and to all his land. And for all the mighty power and all the great deeds of terror that Moses did in the sight of all Israel. None better than Moses. 
accept. This one that I'm asking you to consider. Um, yeah, Moses was, um, was the best of, that the Old Testament had to, had to offer. But this author of the book of Hebrews is saying, I want you to consider Jesus because, listen, now gang, this might not move you, but remember who his audience is. Before you consider going back to Judaism, you need to consider Jesus who is of far greater honor than this Moses. Do you see, that's what he's doing in this text, guys. Moses, you'll notice it's, it's right there in the verses. Um, Moses, um, Moses was faithful in the house. Jesus built the house. You see, the one who gets the glory is not the house, but the builder of the house. Moses is a servant, verse 5, in the house. Jesus was a son over the house, verse 6. Moses was a part of the family. Jesus is over the family. Gang, do you understand what, what, what what the author is doing? He thinks his audience is about to throw in the towel and say, I've had it, I quit. And then he says, before you do that, there's something that you need to think through. You need to consider this Jesus, the faithful apostle and high priest, who didn't build the house. I mean, I mean, he wasn't in the house. He built the house. He wasn't a servant in the house. He was over the house as a son. Now, guys, there's a lot in this, this little passage about his being an apostle and a high priest and all that. A lot of good stuff that you can learn about Jesus Christ and what he did, et cetera, et cetera. Um, but, but there's not any, there's not much in this text that, that you can't find elsewhere in the new Testament, but here is what we, here's what we are to learn. Ladies and gentlemen, guys, you need to listen to this. Here's the lesson that we're supposed to learn. That the key to perseverance, the key to making it to the end, is an ongoing preoccupation with Christ. This author, the book of Hebrews, is dealing with people who, because of trial and persecution, leveled at them by the Roman government, they're thinking that if I just lay down all this Christian stuff and pick up the gods of my culture, my pain will go away. I mean, life could be so much less painful if I just stopped with all this Jesus stuff. 
And I'm saying to you, ladies and gentlemen, it is so notable. Listen. It is so notable that the only remedy that this author offers The only remedy that is mentioned is an ongoing preoccupation with Christ. He doesn't offer them six steps. He doesn't offer them ten steps. He doesn't discuss the secret of Christian living. Ladies and gentlemen, there is no secret. That's Gnosticism. He doesn't say, you need to sign up for another course. The only remedy he offers to God's people to prevent them from quitting is simply this. Consider Jesus. To his Jewish audience, of course, Moses was a hotshot. Moses is not such a big hotshot for us. But to this Jewish audience, he says to them, here's what you must do. You must consider Christ before you ever dream of throwing in this towel. So you see, ladies and gentlemen, for us, the key to an ongoing walk of the Christian faith is to keep before me Christ At all times, Christ. This author is writing to an audience that he thinks is about to quit. And the only remedy he offers them is consider him. Guys. We are at chapter 3 in the book of Hebrews, and we're about to enter us. Well, we just have. We, we are, we, with chapter 3, we've entered an, a section of the book of Hebrews, which really, by the way, goes to the end of the book. Um, we, we enter a place in the book of Hebrews where more than any other book in the Bible, Hebrews takes up this issue of Perseverance. Perseverance, persevering to the end. And and I I don't know about you, but I, for one, am oh so glad that it does. Because very honestly, ladies and gentlemen, the, the, the church in the 21st century is just downright wacky when it comes to this whole issue of perseverance. I have had people say to me with a straight face, this was years ago, but said to me with a straight face, and I'm almost quoting 
um, at least the, the, the essential matter I'm quoting. This young man said, if you accept Jesus, you can kiss God goodbye and still be saved. That sentence, ladies and gentlemen, is an open denial of this whole doctrine of perseverance. Um, I've had a couple of parents sit in my office and say to me that their Wiccan daughter was a Christian and was going to heaven. Do you know what a Wiccan is? A Wiccan is a, is a witch on steroids. They said to me that their Wiccan daughter, a practicing witch, was a Christian and, and was on her way to heaven. I had a man sit in my office one day. And he said to me very proudly, I think I've said this to you before. I, I still can't get over it, but the... This man said to me in my office that he had arranged an affair for his wife with a neighbor because he was he had no more interest in her. And then went on to tell me just what a wonderful Christian he was. And 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 get this, this is the clincher. He pointed to that arrangement with his neighbor as the illustration of his selfless life and the reasons for which he concluded that he was a Christian. Ladies and gentlemen, I say to you without, with every fiber of my being, The author of the book of Hebrews would roll over in his grave if he heard anything like that. Any of those three. Kiss God goodbye. And and by the way, let me show you what the the author of Hebrews does teach. Verse 6. And we are his house if Indeed, we hold fast our confidence and our boasting and our hope. Well, Dr. Young, you know, I, uh, I, um, I understand what you're saying. <laughs> you know, you know I, 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 see, I see that right there in verse 6, but you know, uh, Jesus never taught anything like that. Oh, yes, he did. And I can spend the rest of your afternoon showing you where he taught. But I'm going to show you only one place. And I'm going to show it to you because I think it's the simplest. And and, um, in all of my efforts to confuse you, (laughs) I don't think I can botch this one up. If you've got a Bible and you can flip over real fast to the book of Mark, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. If you can find Mark and find the 13th chapter of Mark, I'll show you, I'll read you just a half of a verse. Mark chapter 13. <clears throat> Mark 13, 13, second half. Jesus is speaking and he says, But the one who endures to the end 
will be saved. You know, I've said this to you before in here. I've got lots of degrees. I've got, uh, you know, I got a high school degree, I got a college degree, and I got a, then I got a master's after that, then I got a doctorate after that, and none of it's necessary to understand those 11 words. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. Oh, but yeah, I, I see that, Dr. Young, but I mean, <laughs> you know, uh, you've, you've got you've to put that in its context. Well, my friend, you go right ahead. It won't change anything. Guys, what, what the author of Hebrews teaches is taught throughout this, this book. And it's taught, of course, by the Savior himself. Now, gang, I, I, I will grant you this. Great care must be taken at this point so that you might not hear something that you might not draw conclusions that you ought not draw so let me let me try to do that real quick listen carefully gang perseverance will not save me but it does prove that i have been saved Gang, that's the message of that 1 John 2, verse 19 passage that says, if they were of us, they would have remained with us, but they went out to prove that they were not of us. Perseverance doesn't save me. It just demonstrates, it just illustrates, it just proves that I have been saved. Gang, perseverance proves the reality of my claim. It proves the pedigree. Folks, those that God saves, he keeps to the end. And if I throw in the towel before I get to the end, that's just a proof that I was never saved in the first place. Well, okay, here, Doctor. You know, you got me riled now. <laughs> uh, I mean, I'm not sure what you what you're what you're saying here. You know, but uh, okay, if, if perseverance is is the you know the the, the proof that I'm a saved man, then uh, you know uh, how do I persevere? Because you know, Doctor, you know, you know that I'm prone to wonder. How do I persevere? I would have you, ladies and gentlemen, to listen to this inspired author. Not me, him. And here is what he offers his audience. Consider Jesus. You know, guys, we sing a song around here, and it's a beauty. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face. 
and the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. Guys, he who perseveres to the end will be saved. This audience is thinking about quitting. This author says, don't do that. And here's the only remedy I have for you. Not a course. Not a secret. Not six steps. Keep your eyes fixed on Jesus Christ. Ladies and gentlemen, this is this is vital information. Now, that's the main thrust of that text. It's summarized in those two words, consider him, consider Jesus. But then After he makes his point, he says, consider Jesus, and then he says, here's why you should consider him. He's this, he's this, he's this, and he's far better than Moses. And then, as an application of what he's taught in verses 1 through 6, he quotes Psalm 95. And you'll notice how Psalm 95, I don't think that's the opening verse of Psalm 95. I think, anyway, but it's from Psalm 95. And you'll notice the first word in, of Psalm 95 that he quotes is the word today. There's an urgency in the voice of this text. Gang, the Holy Spirit is calling you to an immediate decision. Not on your deathbed, but today. Not, Not after you get out of college, but today. Not after you're married and have kids, today. Beloved, there are some things that if you don't do them today, you'll never do them. And and, and this text tells you why. Because every day that passes, your heart gets harder. Guys, is, is 25 years of rebellion not enough? Ha- haven't you lived long enough without Christ? Well, Dr. Young, I, I, I'll, I'll, I'll think about it. No, don't do that. Don't do that. Um, hell is, is paved with, with good intentions. You know, there's a story in the book of Acts, chapter 24, about... Paul preaching to a, um, to a Roman governor. Paul is a prisoner. And he preaches to a Roman governor. His name is Felix. And after he's finished his sermon, Felix responds this way. He says, he says to Paul, 
go away for the present. When I get an opportunity, I will summon you. He never does. Felix never does. Oh, my friends, if you can leave here this morning saying that, I, that I'll get to this later, then you are overtly dishonoring the Holy Spirit who says, today. And the result will be a harder heart. Oh, yeah, well, I'll, I'll get to that, uh, you know, next year. You know, back, uh, you know, back in, uh, you know, back when uh, we have New Year's resolutions. Yeah, 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 that's when I'll do it. I'll, I'll do it next New Year's. <laughs> My friend, how, will you know, how do you know that you will be here next New Year's? Or ask differently, where will you be in nine months? My friends, I want every man and woman in this room to walk out knowing his position. Either you have no intention of trusting Christ and thus obeying God, or you, like the prodigal son, says, I will arise and go to my father. There are no other options. Those are the only two. Guys, forget about yesterday. Jesus Christ died for our yesterdays. And tomorrow is too late. Today. Today, says the Spirit. You know, guys, um, have you ever been asked... <clears throat> You ever been asked, um, hey, uh, you know, uh, why, why, didn't you, why didn't you come to the party? Uh, you know, why didn't you come to that party that we had, you know? And you said, well, you know, um, um, I never got invited. My friends, you will, never be able to, you will never be able to say that when you stand before God. Because on this day, I invited you, and you declined. Can I read you his words of application now? Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion on the day of testing in the wilderness where your fathers put me to the test and saw my works for 40 years. Therefore, I was provoked with that generation and said, they always go astray in their heart. They have not known my ways. As I swore in my wrath, 
they shall not enter my rest. I plead with you. Do not let verses 7 through 11 ever be descriptive of you. Heavenly Father, I thank you for the privilege that is mine to teach this book. But Lord, if I have taught it wrongfully, would you stop up the ears of the hearers? But if I have handled it in a way that is true to its intent, would you use it to call attention to the status and the, um, the position of every heart here? Father, uh, might Grace Evan be a place where Jesus Christ is constantly kept before the eyes of every attender. Might they never leave here without having had the opportunity to consider Jesus. We ask, of course, in Jesus' name, amen.